He's been on the job for less than a year, but he's already making sweeping changes to the European tour. Chief Executive Keith Pelley recently sat down with our own Gary Williams for this Monday Scramble podcast special. Check it out. All right, well, Keith, it's great to have you here. I know the visit is very, very short, but uh, welcome to Florida and Golf Channel. You know, Channel. It's, it's great to be here, and uh, it was nice that it's raining here so that it <laughs> makes me feel like home in England. At which home? England or where you were from formerly, which uh. is where you grew up, which is where I want to start. Because I must ask, a young man born and raised in Canada, right. in the middle of his life, with great success behind him, decides, I'm going to move to Europe. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Well, I think I think when um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's an excellent question, and I would say uh, threefold. Is one is um, once I got the call, I was I was kind of intrigued because of of my passion for golf. I've I've loved golf and and uh, have uh, have played it as competitively as I can. Other than the fact that I can't make a three footer, so we'll leave that. So so there's no question I had a passion for it. Second of all. Uh, when I met with the board, and I met with the chairman of the board, David Williams, who was recently had brought in, and he had brought in some really strong uh, board of directors, and I and I looked at the at the passion and the enthusiasm that they had, and the opportunity that existed, and I believed um, that it was a great opportunity to mm. grow it. Uh, so that was that was something that really energized me, uh, because the first time I came down and had the conversation or the first time I came to London and had the conversation about the job, I was interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me. And, uh, uh, but I saw the fact that they really believed that there was an opportunity to grow the tour. And then the, uh, I guess the third and, and maybe the most important was my charming bride said, uh, let's go on an adventure. Mm. Uh, my boy was 12 and my daughter is nine and uh, let's go have some fun. So that's what we did. Well, Keith, you're familiar with London. You were because you went to, to Trinity when you were a college boy. But i, I got to ask you one last thing about yeah. the decision-making. You had orchestrated one of the most important deals in the history of the company you formerly yeah. worked for, Rogers Media, getting the NHL rights yeah. for in excess of $5 billion. Was that almost like a crowning achievement at that particular post, that it was almost like your work was done there? No, actually, to be honest with you, one of the toughest things about leaving uh, was leaving Gary Bettman. Mm. Uh, Gary and I had become very close friends. Uh, it, was a, it was a monumental deal, obviously, that, that uh, I'm pretty proud of. It's a 12-year deal. It was, it was, we became the gatekeeper of the National Hockey League in Canada, all rights, all platforms. In fact, there was a clause in the contract that stipulates if a new piece of technology or a new platform was developed we, auto, we were automatically granted the rights and and uh, it was um, it was an historical deal he became a very uh, good friend uh, we were partners with the National Hockey League and and leaving Gary uh, was one of the uh, mm. uh, the key decision to actually leave Gary was a very tough uh, decision in coming to this job but he at the end of the, but at the end of the day he was incredibly supportive. I went to New York, sat down with him, explained him the job, explained him the opportunity, and he said, you have to go. Mm. You mentioned Gary Bettman. You know this so well, these, these powerful sports entities. A lot of their leaders are guys who come from within. You look at Rob Manford. You look at right. Adam Silver. You, right. you look at, I mean, all of them, Roger Goodell. Any trepidation being somebody coming from the outside, was that something you had to evaluate before you took the post with the tour? No, I didn't look at that, to be, uh, to be honest. I looked at it as the opportunity. It was a, 
there's no question that's a gargantuan challenge. Uh, but after I, I got to know the board of directors, actually I started to study the European tour and I looked at uh, all of the, uh, the potential that, that existed. I didn't really have trepidation about doing the job. It was just, um, it was just actually moving. I, I, I was very happy in Canada. And, and had a great job in Canada and, and worked for a, a terrific company in Rogers. Uh, but at the end, to work in golf with this opportunity and to give this experience to my family, it was really just too good to pass up. Let's talk about directives because you mentioned when you're interviewing them, they're interviewing you. Mm -hmm. You had the things you want to do that you hope impress them. They have things they want to achieve that you hope you agree with. Are the directives of the European tour very much in line when you started this job with what you want to do? Well, I, I, I think what I learned in our very first meeting, and when I said I was interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me, um, I needed to understand that they were prepared to change. I needed to understand that, that uh, although the game has so much tradition and it has so much history, uh, that we needed to actually be willing to take chances and modernize some of it. Um, be able to, to, to experiment with different formats, to uh, have, a, have a, our players look at it as a content business and an entertainment business, not just as a golf business. And that, I really see golf as the, uh, as the platform and, and we're in the content entertainment business. And I needed to understand that they were willing to make change. Change is hard. And... Um, you know, the curiosity uh, and the courage and the change are the three C's that were important for me to understand from the board of directors, and, uh, and it was there in spades. So uh, once, once I spent some time with them uh, and looked again, once, I, I can't stress it enough, uh, the opportunity that existed to grow the tour, uh, it, was, uh, it was something that was uh, really exciting for me. You have said that you are, and there's no argument, it's the biggest tour in the world outside of the United States, the European tour. Is the PGA Tour, are they a partner or a competitor? Well, I think we're a partner in the fact that we want to grow the game globally together. There's no question. We're, we're, um, golf is our platform, and the more people that play golf, the more people that experience it, the more people that participate it, whatever that may be, whether it be in paying par threes, whether it be at driving ranges, whether it be a miniature golf, is all good for us. Um, having said that, we are a global golf tour. We are the global golf tour. We're in 26 countries in four regions of the world. And um, uh, so although we compete with the PGA Tour in, in many different areas, we're also partners as far as growing the game. One of the decisions you made early on seemed like a challenge to the PGA Tour, and that was to not sanction the Bridgestone Invitational. And obviously you have a condensed schedule this year and what you've done by upping uh, the ante with respect to the purse at the French Open. That seems like, you know, really healthy and hearty competition, is it not? Oh, no. I, that, that really, uh, there's no question. The scheduling is, is somewhat of an issue this year based on the Olympics, the Ryder Cup, then you have the World Cup. Uh, but, but the French Open has been with us since our inception in 1972. This, in fact, is the 100th anniversary of it. It has had that date since 1997. It's the host of the 2018 Ryder Cup, and they've spent a tremendous amount of money on res and resources on making the golf course even that much stronger. This was an absolutely easy decision. The fact that the, uh, the, the two tours couldn't come together and schedule it um, 
maybe had to do with the Olympics, maybe had to do with communication that could have occurred a couple of years ago. And I think we need to do a better job of communicating our schedules with each other. Uh, but it was an easy decision. It, it had nothing to do with with uh, the PGA Tour. It had nothing to do with uh, not sanctioning the WGC. It had everything to do with uh, supporting uh, an event that had been part of our schedule for so long. The Ryder Cup, a very, very important property for your tour. Ian yeah. Poulter was quoted as saying it's the crown jewel of the European Tour. Is it? I, I, I think it's pretty important. Um, it, happens, it happens every two years. Uh, obviously, we're excited about this year. It'll be my first Ryder Cup. Uh, our captain, Darren Clark, is, uh, is energized after our uh, recent successful win in uh, Malaysia when we, uh, when we beat the uh, Asian team. Um, yeah, it's exciting. The Ryder Cup is, uh, it, it creates memories. You know, just walking through the halls here at the Golf Channel, and I saw Ian Poulter's uh, you know, memorable moments from, uh, uh, from Medina and, and then saw, you know, uh, uh, Graham, uh, Graham McDowell's great shots. Uh, yeah, the Ryder Cup is, uh, is something that's, uh, it's not only critical to the European Tour, it's critical to golf. It certainly is. It sounded to me when you made the announcement about Italy that there was a tremendous amount of pride uh, to, to take this event to Italy. Why? Why so important? Well, there were four terrific bids. Austria, Germany, uh, Spain, and Italy had four great bids. Um, the Italians came, came at the last minute with a, a passion and a, and a creative bid that showed the, the opportunity for golf to absolutely flourish in Italy. And when you think about it, for the Ryder Cup in 2018 to be uh, in Versailles, just outside of Paris, in 2022 for it to be in Rome, it's only, uh, Marco Simone is only, uh, which is the golf course that will be rebuilt, is only 20 kilometers from, uh, from Rome. Uh, it'll be unbelievable. And... Of course, the Italian Open now becomes a pivotal part of our schedule. Next year, it goes from 1.5 million euros to 3 million. And in 2017, for the next 11 years, it will be a key component on our, um, on our tour, uh, moving to 7 million euros. And as Thomas Bjorn said to me, I remember prior to the uh, uh, announcing it, and, and uh, Thomas Bjorn, who's our head of our tournament committee, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And I said to uh, Thomas, I said, so Thomas, here's, here are the bids. What's your thought? And he said, my goodness, I never thought a day would come when I would play for $7 million in Italy. Mm. Well, a day's coming, and it's coming in 2017. I'm going to get back to that statement in just a moment, but I do want to ask you about this roadmap, and you only control half of it. Uh, the PGA of America controls the other half with respect to where these events are being held. But when you say Paris and you say Rome, and we know that New York City is in the future for this event, do you see that as the future, these major metropolitan areas, obviously having to be in the European community, but do you see Los Angeles? And again, you don't control that part of it, do you, but do you think the magnitude of this event, that's where it's going? Um, yeah, Los Angeles would be great. But I can tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out uh, a, a country like Austria and Vienna. Vienna is a magical city. Uh, it, its historical importance and relevance is, is, uh, is well stated. Uh, and the bid that they put together was incredibly aggressive. So um, I think it has to go to 
um, first and foremost, it has to go to unbelievable venues, and it, and it has has that. It has to go to places where um, where where it will be will be totally embraced by uh, by the community. But to go to um, but to combine uh, Rome and think about think about the thought of the opening ceremony in the Colosseum. Just think of that, and think of what that would do. That tingles down your spine. Um, but it also is 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 for for us um, an opportunity to grow the game in some of the places that that the the game needs growth. And Italy is one. You mentioned Thomas Bjorn talking about the purse. Yeah, in Italy, Thomas, yeah. okay, that's continental Europe. It gets back to uh, yeah. one thing that I, I wonder if it's a priority. The footprint of your tour, it's global. You have a great stronghold right. in the Middle East, in the right. Far East. Can you get more events and new events on the map in continental Europe over the next five years with the economic concerns and the realities of what exists right now? Well, I think we're focused on us as a global tour. You know, we, as I said, we play in... Uh, 26 countries and five regions, of the, four regions of the world. So it's it's, and it's growing globally. Uh, Europe is a priority for us, but overall our priority is to uh, is to increase the prize funds, to increase the playing opportunities, to increase the playing experience. So so when you, um, uh, if if you were to really be simple, Gary, we are we are a members organization. Uh, we have a players first philosophy. Uh, I work for the players. Uh, I take as much feedback as I possibly can with them. What they are, what they are talking about, and what's what's really, really interesting, and in the, and the magic of this sport is, is all our players, it, from the elite players to uh, every every single member, wants this tour to flourish. Whether it's Rory, whether it's Henrik, whether it's Sergio, whether it's Justin, and they all want to be part of it. But at the end, we need to increase prize funds, increase playing opportunities for our members, which means expansion. Mm. And uh, and the and the playing experience, which was nothing short of spectacular last week at uh, uh, the HSBC Abu Dhabi Golf Championship. You mentioned an opening ceremony, but that was Ryder Cup related. Olympics, you carried a torch regarding Vancouver in 2012 on the path. I, I did. Okay, yeah. what effect can the Olympics and golf being in the Olympic program have on your tour? Well, I think I think it's more about about you know golf on the international stage. And the Olympics is is something special. If you've been to the Olympic Games, uh, there's there's nothing like it. Um, but then again, I haven't been to a Ryder Cup. But um, I think I think it's terrific for the game. Uh, I think the 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 athletes. I, I believe the athletes who haven't been to a game and and. Uh, and and I heard this with the uh, the NHL players when the NHL went into the Olympics. Mm -hmm. They had no idea what to expect, and they weren't really buzzing with anticipation about it. But once they get into that athlete's village, and once they get the taste, and they see those Olympic rings and touch the Olympic rings, I think it'll be magical for the players. And I think for golf to be on the global stage uh, can only be a good thing for our game. The, the thought of expansion is important to you. How about expanding your membership? A couple years ago on Golf Channel, we had your predecessor, George O'Grady, on the program, and he said specifically that he would target American players and recruit them for membership. And he said specifically Bubba Watson and Ricky Fowler. Ricky played in your event last week in Abu Dhabi. Will you do that? 
Well, I think I think at the end of the day, we want to have the the best players playing in our tournaments as much as we possibly can. Um, we've we've made it very friendly for them to come. At the end, again, we have to come back to what our members want, and that is to increase our our prize funds, to increase the playing opportunities, and to increase the uh, the golf experience. And uh, there's there's no doubt we play in some unbelievable uh, <laughs> historical places. Uh, and the diversity that we have on our tour is one of the greatest strengths. So we, can, we play in the Middle East and, and we, we play in, in cities in like, uh, uh, like, like Crans, Switzerland, and we play in Paris, and we play in, in Rome, and we play, in, in, uh, we play all over the world. Mm. So there is so much um, reasons for, for players to actually come over and play in our tournaments because of the actual experience itself. It's more than just golf. You can see the world. And, and I've, I, can, I can tell you, I've been in 19 countries in the last five and a half months. And, uh, and it's, it's, ter it's terrific. The experiences that I've had and the people that embrace the game globally is, uh, is something that really gets me excited. You, you've made it very clear how important raising the prize money is for you over the next several years. Is that attainable? with the appearance fees and the healthy ones that do currently exist at a handful of your events? Can I you think, do that? I think it's very attainable. Yes, it is. I think it's very attainable, Gary, and uh, the only thing I can say is, uh, is stay tuned. We're going to be ambitious. Uh, we're going to be aggressive. Uh, you know, we might make the odd mistake, but that's okay. Uh, but there is no question that we will be able to be significantly stronger in the commercial side of the business. Shorts. Okay, suddenly shorts are permitted on the European tour. Was, was this a Darren Clark-driven thing <laughs> during, the, during the Eurasia Cup a couple yeah. of weeks ago? I mean, I, I, it seemed practical. Yeah, no, and, Darren. And uh, suddenly yeah. you launch with this, with this new allowance of shorts during practice rounds. Yeah, no, no, Darren, uh, Darren was pretty excited about it, but Darren wasn't involved in the, uh, the early conversations. <laughs> it started back in Dubai. It was, it was 35 degrees at the DP World Championship this year, which is... Uh, the culmination of a race to Dubai, and and I just asked a couple of the players, uh, why don't you why don't you wear shorts in the practice day in the pro am? And after asking about 20, 25 players, nobody could give me a tangible reason why not. And then afterwards, I sat with uh, with Ian Poulter, and I said, Ian, why don't we just you know and uh, try it? And he said, Yeah, why don't we try it in the practice rounds in the pro am? I said, Fine, let's do it at the Eurasia Cup. And that's how it happened. All right. And Eurasia. then it became a big story. It did. It did and over it here. A big story. It certainly did. But, uh, but, what, but, but explain to me, you know, what was your, rea what was your reaction? And why was it a big story? I, I'll tell you I, why. I, I don't understand why it was such a big I, story. I'll tell you why. It's the optics. We're not used to seeing the best players in the world wearing shorts. It, but it's you're, but such you're used to watching John Daly. What's John Daly wear? Well, he, he wears loudmouth pants. He's got trousers on. I mean, he, okay, he's so, wearing he's okay, wearing so, he's, so, he's wearing material to his ankles. So let's put a graphic up of of, of John Daly in the trousers, <laughs> right? And and then Darren Clark in the shorts. It's gonna it's, it's believe me, it's fantastic. Your players and I talked to several of them oh, this yeah, week. They're they're they're, they're, they're gonna yeah. love it. They are. Well, let's catapult ahead. Like, okay. do you honestly believe in ten years from now? Do you honestly believe that all the players won't be wearing shorts in competitions? On which tour? I'm just asking. In the United States, emphatically no. Okay. okay. Well, I believe, that, right. I believe in the European tour in 10 years. Is that be... something you want to see happen? 
I, I think it's Shorts a natural in, progression. In tournament competition rounds. I You'd like to a, see it. No, I didn't say I'd like to see it. Okay. I said I think it'll happen. Okay. Right? Right now we're not prepared to go there, Gary. Okay. One last right? thing on, on Europe and Asia. Uh, with respect to the reports about acquisition in the yeah. Asian tour. Merger. Is that merger, right. Yeah. Is that thing possibly or likely to happen? I think we'll have a relationship with the Asian tour. Uh, we're obviously in an exclusive negotiation window right now. And, um, and so I can't talk too much about it, but I do believe that our relationship in Asia will, uh, will continue to strengthen. We've had a relationship with the Asian tour for 16 years. So this is a natural progression of that, of that relationship. And I think that, um, yeah, I think it'll continue and I think it'll be good for golf and it'll be terrific for the European tour and terrific for the Asian tour. Let me ask you one last thing on a, on a fairly serious note, and that is the home of your flagship event and what is going on with the ownership and this, this assessment to their membership. Uh, we, we are trying to do something in growing the game and assessing memberships in excess reportedly of $200,000 to retain their privileges. Where are you with Wentworth and the future of that event? And could that be something that could influence it being at that location? Well, the priority for us at Wentworth is the golf course. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, new, the new ownership has obviously uh, purchased it. They have made a decision what they're going to do with it. From, from the perspective of the European tour, the most important thing with Wentworth is them building that golf course and improving that golf course on an annual basis. The money that they have agreed to invest in is significant after 2016. So 2017, that golf course will increase as far as the, uh, the playability for our players and uh, the appeal to our players significantly. And that is the most important thing. Uh, let me get to something that most people thought I should have started with. You've made a heck of an impression on, the, on your players, having polled a number of them. They're very excited about what you've talked to them about, your willingness to listen. But I have to ask you this. Yes. Do you know the day that you saw those frames and you said, that's me? The, the Be frames. honest, Keith. The glasses. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. I have, I have quite a few pairs of... Uh, uh, pairs of glasses. If you want me to wear something different the next no, no, time, but, but, I will. Cobalt blue. Yeah, cobalt. It, it takes. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's 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 your look. <laughs> you own it. Oh, that's very kind of you. No, the uh, the players, uh, the players. You know, I've been around athletes all my life, and and I've never experienced more joy than working with the players. Um, I've had a chance to meet so many of them. Uh, they, they've, been, they've been tremendous with the feedback that they've give, been given. They've given me uh, the support, uh, and they want to grow the tour. And you think about that from a, from a CEO's perspective. When your greatest asset, and our greatest, greatest asset is the players, and when they're behind you and they want to grow it, it makes it so much easier. Last thing is somebody You've who said that ran. Three times now. I, I know, I know. You keep asking me questions. Well, I know I, because you keep answering them. Well, you keep saying last question. How <laughs> this long is truly the show? is the last question. All right, go ahead. As somebody who ran a media company, you yeah. could help us with a lot of things around here, and right. we're always willing to listen. But we only have one thing we need your advice on: the the music we in bump and out bump with. Since you had a very highly successful DJing career early in your life, <laughs> can you help your, us with you that? Have, you have done your research. <laughs> Yes, that's very, that's very funny. What What kind of music should we be playing to, to engage the audience uh, and you hold know, the audience? You know, what's interesting is, is um, 
uh, I share a Spotify account with my son now, who's who's 13, and uh, and I'm now uh, I've been on the road quite a bit, and so he has his playlist, and I've been starting to listen to his his playlist, and I've never listened to country before ever, and now I'm like a Luke Bryan fan, right? So uh, and I, I like three weeks ago I didn't know who Luke Bryan was, um, so uh, I'm I'm getting in tune with. Uh, with today's music again. So yeah, I could probably help you a little bit, but not as much as best thing to do is go to the millennials. Well, Luke Bryan in London. London is now your home. Thank you so much for taking the Thanks, time. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it.